Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Weather Channel podcast. I'm meteorologist Danielle Banks, and today we are talking to Cal Fire Chief Ken Pimlot. What's been the hardest part of your job leading a department of nearly 8,000 firefighters and staff? It's, I, I think it is those days when um, you get the phone call that uh, a fire like the campfire uh, has started and no matter how much you've prepared and, and pre-deployed resources and anticipated you know, critical fire conditions, um, nothing ever really prepares you for the level of destruction and uh, the real impact uh, on people. The, the, the stories are still coming out from firefighters, law enforcement, um, civilians and, and others about what really happened that uh, that morning. There's a tree on fire in my backyard. There's a tree on fire? Okay. Hang on the line with me, okay? I've uh, got potential for a major incident. I requested 15 additional engines. I don't think anything can really prepare you for that, even though, again, we are we have leaned forward and this state is uh, unlike, uh, really unparalleled anywhere uh, in the country in terms of the amount of resources we bring to bear, the coordination, all of that is happening just as a seamless battle rhythm uh, across the state. But these fires are becoming more and more destructive every year. And uh, we have to continue to, to be on our game and continue to prepare both from the response uh, element to ensure we have all the resources and the firefighters and uh, everything that we need to combat the threat, but also preparing for it and the fuels treatment and working with communities to prepare uh, for this kind of a fire. And, you know, what can we learn from that? So there's a lot of work to do, uh, you know, from what we've been learning from these, uh, particularly this campfire. I wanted to see if if there have been particular changes outside of the fact that the fires have been more destructive. Any other changes you've noticed in the fire conditions in the years you've been with Cal Fire? Yeah, absolutely. They're um, they're obviously getting larger. Uh, the the hundred one hundred thousand acre fire was really the exception uh, in previous decades. Now we're getting multiple one hundred thousand acre or more fires uh, at a time. The fire season is lasting much longer. It's really year round, and uh, on average, I believe about seventy eight days longer uh, than it was 40 years ago. So our firefighters are being exposed to this workload and these conditions for a much longer period of time. Uh, weather patterns, we, while we've had Santa Ana winds, we've had north winds in Northern California for, for many years. That's been part of the landscape. The events are becoming more extreme. The, the red flag warnings, if you will, those conditions that exist with, with winds and low humidities, those windows of time are lasting longer for example, the Thomas fire last year in Southern California, 13 days uh, under red flag conditions. So all of this is just creating, it's a much greater workload, more intense conditions, fire spreading more rapidly. Obviously, they're becoming more destructive. With your retirement, I know that you're not holding back at all. So I'm just going to ask you really, frankly, what do you think needs to be done to help combat the increasing threat of wildfires in California? We need to continue investing in all the things that we've been talking about uh, in the last several years. Uh, Governor Brown and, and, and our legislature have made significant unparalleled investments in forest management, fire prevention, forest health, almost a billion dollars over the next five years in cap and trade funding is being committed uh, to fire prevention, fuels treatment, uh, and working at the landscape level on uh, thinning forests and, and, and working towards new markets so that we can process material coming off the forest and really incentivize the ability to get more work done. Working on with communities, land use planning, that is an area where we need to continue to work with our local partners so that, uh, again, as we're developing and, and, uh, and, and folks are living in the wildland urban interface, one, they all understand the risks 
that you're under uh, living in these communities? And how do we help harden these communities? And how do we work towards smart building and uh, work collectively with our insurance industry, our fire safe councils, our fire professionals, and many others towards um, really fire safe communities. And, and, and that means many aspects. It's looking at hardening of infrastructure, roads, uh, ensuring there's multiple uh, escape routes or, or transportation corridors. Um, can we cluster development so that we can better protect a community? And there may just be some areas that aren't possible to defend. We need to look at those critical areas where there are canyons that funnel the wind and make that very intense, that make it almost impossible for people, people to evacuate if there's a fire, and certainly very difficult, if not impossible to protect. So how do we look across these areas and learn from the fires that have been occurring, uh, look towards our, our uh, wildland urban interface building codes? Where are there improvements that we can make to ensure we're, we're hardening our infrastructure even more going into the future? And the developers, you know, they've been saying a couple of things. Uh, first, they're saying, well, there's a housing shortage. We need places to put people. And second, they're saying that the new structures will be built to be more fire resistant. So, so that part is technically a good thing. Right. Absolutely. And that's why this is a complex you know, problem. Absolutely. Uh, we need affordable housing. The, the, you know, society needs residents need places to live. Uh, and we want that. We want communities to have you know, people move in to support the economy and provide the workforce. And yes, new construction uh, is being built to the, the, the current standards. Challenge we have is that in the state responsibility area, about 31 million acres of almost entirely private watershed lands around California, there are over 750,000 habitable structures uh, in those areas. And it's what you would consider legacy construction. Much of that was built decades ago, not to the current standards. So many of these fires that we're seeing are, are burning these homes and structures that are from older construction. So while we're focusing forward and looking at hardening communities with new construction, we also need to look backwards. What incentives can we provide? How can we work towards um, converting existing structures to be more uh, fire resistant, whether it's roofing material, windows that are double paned, uh, you know, widening driveways, providing water supplies. We, we need to find some ways to incentivize and help landowners improve their existing uh, structures to be more fire resistant. Who should be making the call on whether or not new construction is allowed? I mean, is there a way to make sure that there is more expertise from firefighters as part of the approval process? I mean, is there a way to do that and, and keep everything fair and balanced and also not have the decision take forever? Right. No, we all have a, a vested interest and a stake uh, in these decisions as they go forward. And fire professionals absolutely want to be and need to be at the table during these land use planning discussions. And uh, certainly these things occur at the local level. Great strides have been made working um, with uh, local land use uh, officials, uh, planning officials. Uh, we are providing CAL FIRE along with many others are providing technical assistance as the safety elements of general plans uh, are, are updated, as hazard mitigation plans uh, are updated, but we need to continue and really increase our dialogue there. We need all the experts at the table uh, and then obviously make some difficult decisions going forward uh, to try to work towards these more resilient uh, communities. Because for every new home you know, being built out there, we have an opportunity uh, to find a way to make that um, uh, more fire resistant. And it's going to involve even some non-traditional partners. We need to ensure the real estate community uh, is engaging because every homeowner needs to understand uh, what risks uh, are involved um, as they move into the wildlands. The insurance uh, industry, key partner in working towards um, solutions to, to getting this done. Is that recent, the, getting the, the real estate industry involved? I know it's not new for insurance, but how recent has 
in the real estate industry really been kind of trying to step into this battle as well? So the disclosure of uh, very high fire hazard severity zones has been a part of real estate transactions within the state responsibility area uh, for a number of years now. Uh, but we really need that to be not just uh, a signature block or a checkbox. We obviously want that to have, be a discussion so that with, uh, with the real estate uh, community sitting down and it's really a more informative process with homeowners uh, and, and again with the, the, the expertise of, of realtors in this space working with clients and having access uh, to that community. That's a great partnership and opportunity that we could really leverage and, and, and do more with going forward. And speaking of doing more going forward, uh, there is going to be more firefighting aircrafts added. I'm curious, were you the person who pushed for that and how long did you have to push for it? So uh, there's a couple of uh, very beneficial uh, opportunities going forward for California as it relates to CAL FIRE's aviation program. So we are currently in the process of uh, replacing the 12 UH-1 Huey helicopters, which were really the mainstay of our helicopter program for decades. Uh, we're replacing those with uh, S-70I uh, Blackhawk helicopters. These will be twin-engine, night-flying capable helicopters. Uh, and over the next several years, those will be coming into California and be deploying out to our, our uh, helitac bases and ultimately fully replace that fleet. They very excited about this uh, modern, state-of-the-art uh, platform uh, that will, again, provide us, you know, more options as we combat um, these critical fires we're fighting. At the same time, we've had the California has had an opportunity working with uh, the Department of Defense, uh, Senator Feinstein, uh, the Air Force, uh, the Coast Guard, the Forest Service, and others to look at repurposing uh, seven C-130. Uh, aircraft that are currently uh, assigned to the Coast Guard, having those aircraft repurposed and uh, rebuilt into uh, actual air tankers that can uh, drop approximately 4,000 gallons of retardant. And over the next several years, these will become part of CAL FIRE's fixed-wing aviation fleet. Uh, and again, with fires getting larger and with the challenges becoming, uh, you know, increasing, Having this extra capacity within our, our aviation program uh, is going to be key. And uh, it's been a partnership uh, and certainly uh, a lot of work going into it, some forward thinking by many individuals. And I was just proud to be part of that and to help you know, bring that uh, discussion together. And, and, and hopefully we'll see that come to fruition here again uh, in the next several years. Another way that you guys try to get uh, ahead of things, of course, uh, in combating fires is prescribed burns. Now, the people who don't live in fire prone areas that might sound a little bit on the crazy side. So can you explain the process behind a prescribed burn and why they can be beneficial? Absolutely. So prescribed fire is, is really this that. We're putting fire on the ground under a prescription. And that prescription is whether, primarily are there weather and fuel conditions. So under the right humidities and wind speeds and temperatures, under the right fuel moistures at the right time of year, uh, all of that so that we can one, moderate the fire behavior. So it meets the, the intensity objective that we're looking for. So we don't destroy the vegetative uh, cover, but that we, you know, we, we reduce it to the level that we want. The fire can be maintained within containment so that again, it doesn't escape control and become a wildland fire. Uh, we provide resources. We have a very rigorous plan. Uh, we have a checklist that's gone through. We work with local air quality districts to ensure uh, air quality is part of that equation, uh, all working together. But it's really putting fire on the ground under our terms, under conditions that are much more moderate 
Otherwise, if we don't reduce this fuel loading, and remember, this was occurring naturally prior to you know 40 million people living uh, in California. We can't afford to have these fires burn across private land, these 31 million acres, uh, unchecked because too much infrastructure, there's people, all of that. So we put fires out. Well, obviously, that allows vegetation to build up. So putting fire in areas where we can help reduce that vegetation buildup along with other treatments. We have to go in, and in many of these areas, we have to thin the forest first to reduce some of that fuel loading before we can safely put fire uh, on the ground. But this is a tool that uh, we are gonna continue to increase uh, our use. Uh, we're building partnerships. There are many leaders around uh, California and the West that are um, becoming very proficient in doing this, and we really wanna increase the amount of acres across the state that we're treating under prescribed fire. In terms of additional tools, we know that you guys are huge on continuing to open up the pipeline on public communication. And I know that you have talked about that you would really like to see all Californians treat red flag warnings like tornado warnings. Uh, and truly, after this year, I just have to ask, what is it going to take? <laughs> well, it takes uh, professionals like you. It takes the Weather Channel. It takes this partnership uh, with the media uh, at all levels um, to really be able to craft a message uh, and get it out there in the format that people can understand. It's unfortunate that we have come to where we've got these significant disasters like the campfire in last year, like the fires in the North Bay uh, that have really propelled fires into the forefront, uh, no different than tornadoes and hurricanes. But people are paying attention, and I think what this is giving us an opportunity to do is to really work on early warning systems and really fine-tune, particularly weather. You know, we were able to put red flag warnings out, but they're across a broad swath of the landscape. And the more work that we do in identifying more micro weather uh, forecasts and, and weather patterns, we can really start refining our messaging, uh, one, having it be more real-time and one also having it be more defined for a more localized area so that literally we want that a red flag warning to not be white noise. We want when someone hears that a red flag warning is in place for their community, they know exactly what to do. They realize that a fire could start any minute during that window and they know exactly where they need to go and what they do, uh, what to do in order to, to stay safe and um, obviously get out of harm's way. Well, Chief Finlot, I know you're retiring, but I know this is not the last time that we are going to see you. Uh, again, I just wanted to wish you an additional congratulations. And please come back and be a guest with us. Consider us a platform for you to be able to get these messages out to people because it is so important. Well, thank you for that. I uh, very much appreciate the partnership, as I said, and everything that you all do to keep the public informed. And um, yes, I will absolutely uh, be uh, seeking you out in the future. Guys, if you enjoyed listening, tell your friends about us uh, or you can just share it with them with just the easy click of a button. Check us out on iTunes and the Google Play Store. We will see you next time for another Weather Channel podcast.